Hello everyone, my name is Daniel Antonio. Today I am joined by Charlotte. Charlotte Everson. Hi, I'm a second year physicist and I am one of the podcast secretaries. And hello, my name is Subin. I was the podcast person from last year, but I am now the vice president of FISOC and it's great to be on the podcast again. It's great to have Subin back and thank you all so much for listening and welcome back to another episode of the FISOC podcast. Today, we are lucky enough to be joined by the wonderful Professor Tony Padilla. Hello. So, sorry, I was supposed to introduce you. <laughs> <laughs> you just introduced me. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm Tony, uh, physics prof here at, uh, at Nottingham. Um, yeah, fan of all things uh, Liverpool related, physics related and numbers related, I guess. So just for our students who don't know who are listening, what modules are you teaching in the school this year? So I teach uh, Principles of Dynamics, which is a second year uh, module, which I like to say is the is a sort of first real theoretical physics course that you do here at Nottingham. Um, and I teach Advanced Gravity, which is fourth years, uh, where we probably get stuck into Einstein's theory of general relativity. So it's a pretty, pretty cool course. So any of you who are wise enough to take the theory modules here at Nottingham, you will definitely spend some time with Tony at some point here. But for those of you who haven't, Tony has been in the School of Physics for how long now? Well, I've been here um, since I came as a postdoc, so uh, 15 years now. It's been a while. I mean, not as a member of staff. I was just a, a, a sort of postdoc at, in 2006, and then I, I got a fellowship, and they never got rid of me. Never. So <laughs> uh -huh. I've been here ever since. Were you in this building the whole time, or was it yeah, constructed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was not always in this room, but I was in, yeah, I was, I was in CAP the whole time and sort of, yeah, moved about and explored the place, but never gone as far as anywhere else. So. To this day, are you still exploring Nottingham? Are you finding new things about it? Um, I don't know. I, I sort, of, sort of follow where my wife tells me to go, really, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Uh, she's the best, the one that seems to know where's where good for exploring, like, you know, because there's loads of nice countryside outside Nottingham, right? So she likes to uh, find places to go for walks around there. So we do that sometimes. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's some beautiful countryside around here. So. I don't know, we've been here a while now, so we should know a bit about it, mm. I guess. So after lockdown and coming back to work in person here in the department, what little things did you realise you missed about coming into the uni and spending time on campus? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely quite a, it was good coming back. Uh, I mean, the thing that I sort of found was that, you know, when you're working from home, you sort of, that, that boundary between the end of the day and, you know, the end of the working day and and, and, and sort of relaxing in the evening, it just, it just ceased to exist and it was just really stressful so it was really nice to come back it was nice to see uh sort of faces as well not on a on a screen so you know i i did i was meeting up with my phd student and uh you know we'd had we had lunch together a couple of times um you know maybe once a week or something and uh but yeah it was good to actually i mean you can't see in here but there's obviously whiteboards and to actually discuss on a whiteboard rather than just trying to do it on teams it was horrendous and um, yeah, it was, and obviously, you know, you, you start to see people, you start to see your students around, so it was nice, definitely. Are there any developments in the school this year which you're particularly excited for? Anything new going on in the department which is, which you've been looking forward to? You mean like in terms of research? Anything, anything starting. It could be a new office chair. <laughs> uh, is that exciting? We're getting rid of the structural column. Oh, yeah, 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 we need to move this massive block in my office. It's annoying. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess sort of we're excited about hearing the research that each other's are doing. We set up the new center of gravity. I guess that was the the uh, the exciting development, which has started this year, which is linked with maths, um, which I'm the sort of co-director of. 
Um, so this is basically it's to sort of showcase our sort of research in all all bits of gravity um, between maths department and the physics department. So it's mainly particle cosmology here over in in um, in physics, but also the astronomers to some extent um, and the quantum gravity people in in maths. And uh, yeah, so we started that up and running this year, and we started getting like really quite sort of esteemed speakers to give uh, to give talks. So we had a guy from Harvard came and gave a talk at the start of term, Cameron uh, Vaffe. And you know, it's going to be there's, there's similarly big names going to sort of uh, be carrying on throughout the year. So that was the big sort of development, I guess, sort of starting this year. Sounds really exciting. So, as well as the Center for Gravity, you've got a pretty big year coming up with your new book coming out. So, for those of you who don't know. Tony currently is in the process of very nearly finished writing a new book called Fantastic Numbers and Where to Find Them, A Cosmic Quest from Zero to Infinity. Did I get the title right? You did, yeah. yeah. So what led you into writing a new book? Because I know it's been something you've been thinking about for a while, but what made you finally start doing it as a project? Yeah, I mean, writing a pop sci book was always something an ambitious of mine to do. Um, and it sort of came, it actually came about in sort of quite tragic circumstances, actually, because... Um, I had a, a friend who, who came ill with with cancer, and I was trying to raise money to sort of help for his his treatments. And I started doing. I actually did a talk here. Actually, um, started giving talks around various places and collecting at the talks. And we did one in Nottingham, did one up in in Liverpool, where we both come from, and uh, I've just various places and and you know raised sort of a few thousand towards the overall fund. And the overall money raised was like 200,000 wow. um, sadly it, did, it didn't it didn't we couldn't save them in the end but but you know but but th that talk that I was giving it was about numbers and how they merge with maths uh, with physics and it felt like a seed for a book and um, and just as, whilst I was giving these this this sort of lecture series of around various places I was approached by um, by an editor uh, quite a small um, publishing house, and they said, "Oh, have you thought about writing a book along these lines?" And it was exactly the idea that I'd had. And then I sort of spoke to various people, got some advice, and and uh, and then yeah, got got an agent, and then ended up signing with with Penguin, which was really exciting, and, and for the idea for the book, and it was really cool. So so it sort of blossomed from there. So it sort of started in quite tragic circumstances, but uh, obviously I'm, I'm going to dedicate the book to him, and uh, and it's sort of. From something tragic, something at least slightly positive has come out. That's really nice. I was, yeah. I was wondering how you'd start writing. Is it? Did you, have, did you have an idea at the start about where you come from from the maths, like the fundamentals of maths? Is like, is it like very philosophical? And then it kind of goes into more detail. So, so what the, what the point of the book is? It's it's kind of like a, a sort of mashup of extreme maths and extreme physics. So you take the most extreme maths and you and you sort of collide it with the most extreme physics and see where it takes you. So. Some of it's based on on sort of things that are discussed in in some of the videos that I've done, um, where I go into sort of, but I go into a lot more detail and explain the ideas behind it. So, for example, um, I did a video about Graham's number, which is the largest number to have appeared in a mathematical proof, or it was. And um, so, and and if you try to, the physics behind it is that if you try to think about this huge number, this crazy, crazy big number. Uh, in your sort of mind's eye, you try to see its decimal representation in your head, then your your head would collapse into a black hole. So there's, there's <laughs> so you've got really sort of extreme numbers and extreme physics, and you put them together, and you end up with this absurd situation. But actually, so 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 I go into this in a lot of detail, and um, you know, I talk about what, where the number comes from mathematically, but then I also go into the physics of black holes and and, and deep into that, and actually towards really deep concepts like uh, something called the holographic principle, which is the idea that that um, 
kind of one dimension of space is actually an illusion uh, that we actually live in one dimension less and one dimension is a bit of a fake. It's really quite deep mm. and profound stuff, but right on the cutting edge of physics. So that's what I mean. It's kind of like extreme maths hits ex extreme physics. What kind of level would this book be aimed at just for yeah, so example? It, sorry, yeah. So it, it is a trade book. So it's, it is for um, the general public. And obviously my editor made me take certain things out. So, yeah. <laughs> this. Uh, so whilst it does go into quite deep concepts, like, like I just mentioned, this, this idea of, of holography, it's done so in a way that I think is is quite accessible. So in terms of level, I mean, I mean, every single physics student at this university would, would be able to read it, no problem. It's actually aimed at, at a more general public, really. So anybody who's with an interest in science in general could 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 follow it. I mean, so my wife is is she sort of read read through it all. Um she's not into science. Um but she she followed it, right? So she was so I think that, that gives you a, mm. an idea of the uh, the right level. Definitely. Have you come across Philip Moriarty's book? I have, yeah. What do yeah. you think of it? Uh, so I haven't read it all. I have read bits though, uh, because I actually nick one of his ideas from, from his book. Uh, I told him I was going to nick it. So, uh, so yeah, no. I mean, Phil's great, right? You got to love Phil. He's, yeah. he's, he's yes. so um, he's, he's so good fun to talk to, and we sort of have quite interesting debates from time to time. But he's uh, yeah, got a lot of time for Phil. I was so annoyed because um, at one of my lectures, he was handing the mic for free and literally everyone ran towards it. <laughs> I was like about to get the last one and someone grabbed it and I was like, oh no. He handed them out for free? For free. Yeah. He had extra copies. Well, that's put pressure on me, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now. You, should, you should have said that, Charlotte. <laughs> uh, how many did he give out? Quite a few, actually. I think oh, it was like 10. A quite a big box of them. Yeah. Because really. we did, we recorded a podcast with him quite um, a few weeks ago and he was like... <gasps> Did he give them out to you as well? Yeah, yeah, it was like saying, oh, you've got a random box of books. Do you want them? You're going to say, cut this out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go around to Phil's and get one of these. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got some dodgy electronic version, but uh, <laughs> I want a proper one now. Yeah. Definitely a good motivator for students. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. definitely. No, yeah. I mean, I've, as I said, I've, I've, I've read bits of it and I stole his, um, some, some aspect of it, but I do mention him in it. So. That's nice. Um, give him the credit. Yeah. It sounds very brave to be taking on such a level of complexity or you know talking about these extreme mass meeting extreme physics so do you think it's been particularly challenging writing such difficult concepts in such a understandable way and if that hasn't been what's been the most difficult part of writing the book for you do you think yeah i mean that is challenging but i i think um i was always looking to do and use analogies all the time um so, you know, I, I, I explained sort of talking about the, the you know, the, the photoelectric effect at one point. And I, I talk about a situation where there's uh, a bunch of people getting um, sort of bottles of vodka in a bar and how drunk they get and, and, and all this. So, so I sort of try to relate it to sort of, you know, relatable uh, situations. And I think for the most part, I, I, I managed that. I hope I managed it anyway. We'll soon find out, right? <laughs> but what was challenging? I think what was challenging was wanting to include so much um because some of these when you do get into quite deep concepts like like for example the holographic principle theory of everything that's another topic i discuss um ideas about you know our unexpected universe you sort of you, you there's quite a lot of ingredients inevitably right there's going to be a lot of things you have to bring in you need to introduce quantum mechanics you need to introduce relativity and and that all you know people write entire books on these ideas and i've tried these are sort of just feeding into something else for me and um so, I've had, so that was the challenge and then and then you had to sort of really uh 
sort of keep the length in check to some extent. So so that that was the hard part, I would say. And that's where the editor, I think, was really helpful. Was like, you know, we can we can we can lose this, and it doesn't affect your you know your understanding, and that's fine. And and so you just have to make some sort of really harsh choice. You're like, oh, this is such some cool physics I, I can tell you about, but I'm not going to be you able to. Have, make another book about just the extra bits. Maybe. Yeah, well, <laughs> they do say, oh, you should set up a website but, uh, with, with extra questions in. But but I, I mean, I think it's it's turned out quite self-contained, which is nice. But but um, yeah, there was so much more I would like to have talked about. But you just got to be pragmatic about this sort of yeah. thing, right? Do you have um, a, a graphic designer for any cool cartoons or anything in the book? Oh, so this is currently being discussed. Oh, right? okay. So, <laughs> so um, yeah. So the yeah, that's that, that, that's 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 something that's happening in the background at the moment, and there was some interesting ideas, but I don't want to say them because in case it doesn't happen yet. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, there was, there was well, there was talk of making a little cartoon of the book, like which would which would be well cool, like, mm. like an animated cartoon for for publicity purposes. I was dead excited about that. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if it'll happen though. We'll see. Is this cartoons that you watched maybe when you were younger or something, or had no? It on? would no. I shouldn't say anymore because it might. Okay. But yeah, this maybe somebody who makes animations cool. I know, could do it. Cool. But we'll see. It's not up to me. Um, a while ago, and I don't know your opinion on Feynman, but Feynman gave a very good uh, interview, where an interviewer asked him about why magnet works. And Feynman doesn't answer the question and says, I can't answer this question for you because you're not a student of physics. And for now, you're just going to have to believe me when I say magnets work. If I want to explain this to you, I'll have to teach you up to undergraduate level physics. How have you come across problems like that in the book? Because I imagine, as you said, diving into GR, dimensionality, quite a lot of complicated topics. How have you got around the problem of discussing these things with an audience which may not have any physical training. Yeah, it's strange that Feynman, of all people, should say that, right? Because, I mean, if, if ever there was a more intuitive physicist who could explain things to... Feynman technique, right? You, yeah. know, to, you know, he's incredible. He was incredible at it, right? So so I would say, you know, of all people, he's probably the one person who probably doesn't need to do what he said he had to do. He could, he could just explain physics to, to, to sort of the man on the street in an intuitive way, amazingly. Uh, and actually, you know, I, I draw on some of Feynman's analogies and, and descriptions of things in the book because just there's no be nothing better. So why would you reinvent the wheel when somebody's explained it brilliantly before? So you, you use it again. Um, so, yeah, so, so, so yeah, I, I mean, I don't entirely agree with that. I think, I mean, okay, look, you're never going to be able to explain all the detail, Matt. I mean, I think, I think one of the things that, that's true is that if you want to make advances in physics, you know, in theoretical physics in particular, um, you need you have to get your hands dirty with the mass. You can't make you know those forward steps without without getting your hands dirty. You're not going to be able to do that in a popular science, you know, with a popular science book as as, as your resource. You have to learn the maths. Okay, so my book's not there to teach anybody how to learn the maths. It's just to give an intuitive feel for the ideas behind, like I say, these these things like holography and and and, and the theory of everything. And uh, and I think you can do that, and you can do that with analogies. Now they're not always perfectly precise. But then I'm not going to beat myself up about that. If I if I feel the reader has got an intuitive understanding, that's good enough for me. If they want, if somebody wants more and they want to learn all the the sort of maths behind it, then well, go and get a textbook because that's what a textbook's for, or do an under, or do a degree, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So so I, I I don't really buy Feynman saying that. I think uh, I don't mm. really, don't really... well to be fair, the question Feynman was asked was why do magnets attract each other, and Feynman said, oh, 
a why question is always very hard to answer because you can just keep going down and down and down with whys. So well, that, I didn't true. I didn't phrase the context of that too well, but I do agree. Feynman, him answering that question in that way when I first saw that interview surprised me a bit because he's one of the best natural explainers of physics there was. But I'm very impressed that you are taking on this topics, sorry, these topics and these areas within a book aimed at the public. So... Mm-hmm. You've made around twenty videos now. Is it with sixty symbols? Is that is it twenty? I, I don't know. I did a, I did a quick Google and I found twenty, but there may be more. I'm not sure. I feel like there's a lot more than that. It sounds <laughs> below, like, uh, but maybe I always get. I can never remember which one's number it's file, num- which one's yeah. sixty symbols. Oh yeah, may, maybe more it's number file. More I tend to make file. more number file. Yeah, um, but I haven't made one for a bit. So those are obviously very much aimed at public engagement and getting people involved in or talking about physics. So in your mind. Is this from a place of responsibility that scientists have to discuss with the general public? And do you think there should be some level of forced engagement between scientists? Well, maybe not forced. Should there be some... (laughs) (laughs) Understand this right now. (laughs) (laughs) Should there be some level of engagement between academics and the public at wider? I mean, there definitely has to be, right? I mean, there's, you know... So, so, right, okay, so... I mean, on the one hand, I enjoy doing it as well, right? I enjoyed, I enjoyed writing the book immensely. I enjoy doing the videos. Uh, it's, it's, it's really exciting and to sort of. I mean, one of the things that is really nice is to sort of that challenge of you've got this difficult concept and to think how can I put this across to the public. And to be honest, it doesn't always work. I've made videos, I've recorded videos of Brady that don't see the light of day, and it does my head in because you're like, oh, that was so good, and you're like. No, it wasn't. It was like, so clips. It's so bad the way he does this, and it's like you never see it. And it's but anyway, it, it, he obviously has a good idea for for what uh, what's going to you know resonate with the public and what what isn't. Um, so, and likewise, that's what the editor does for you with the book. But 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 it, I, I enjoy the challenge, and I, I enjoy doing both of them. In terms of forcing academics to to engage with the public i don't think i think there's no point in forcing individual academics to do it because some people frankly are just going to be rubbish at it right let's let's, let's not be about the push <laughs> and others are going to be bad and and i think so but those that that do want to do it should be given the opportunity to absolutely and is it a responsibility for science as a whole or academics as a whole to do that i think absolutely so it definitely i mean you only have to see now um sort of you know, so with with COVID and vaccines, and the importance of actually, you know, getting across uh, information from 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 experts to the public in a in a in a, in a way that can really affect society. I mean, obviously, nothing I'm going to talk about is is, is as important as to society as that. Well, but it, I think it's inspiring, you know, and it leads people on to to do things like, you know, a physics degree, and that can make big changes. So. Well, that's very nice of you to say that, Val. <laughs> I'm not sure it's someone could have watched that. I'm not going to be a video. But I don't know. Someone could have watched a video from way back from CERN with Brady was in, I think. And then it was like, oh, look at you. I think it was you were in CERN. I think you were in this massive field somewhere. Yeah. And, and it was really cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember we got a little trip to CERN. That was great. That was great fun. Me, Ed, and Brady went to a little jolly in CERN. It was. Uh, How often good. have you been to CERN? Uh, I've been back since then. So. I think three times I've been to San. I gave a lecture series there once as well. Um, it's a really great place. It's sort of it's so it's so sort of removed from from like you, you think it's going to be like a university, and it, to an extent it is, but it's it's so much more intense, and you really feel the the sort of right at the heart of of, of fundamental physics there, and it's just so much going on, and it, you know, it's really cutting edge. 
Um, it's, uh, it's, it is a really quite inspiring environment, actually. Um, Did you yeah. get to go underground and see the, the whole ex experiment? Yeah, so we, we we timed it. I mean, have you not watched the videos then? Is there? <laughs> I, I didn't see you go underground. We either. did, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. We both did. Oh, yeah. um, so we they we timed it specially so that the because oh. normally you can't go underground right because you get fried. Yeah. Um, so in the interest <laughs> of not getting fried, we, we 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 timed it so that it was it was when there was a shutdown. So um, yeah, we went into the caverns. Um, so Ed did a video in CMS, which is which is one of the one of the one of the detectors. Uh, I did it in Atlas, which is the big one. Mm. Um, yeah, and it was it was you know, it was pretty cool. That it's really exciting, and not and you can work in CERN. I know people that have been postdocs or or even staff at CERN, and you know if they're in, particularly if they're in theory and they never get to go down, right? And so it was pretty. I mean, actually, we were walking around around the complex when we were there, and uh, I knew a guy who's, who's now in Prague, but he was he was a postdoc at CERN at the time, and he was just shouting at us from the window, and we're like. He goes, what are you doing here? I was like, oh, we're just doing videos in the, in the, in the, down at the accelerator. They were like, oh, can I come down? And we were like, oh. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the, the lift's not big enough. I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so it's good. Have you eaten at the cafe? It's said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think of it? It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I went and I was like, well, this is a lot of great food. <laughs> well, you know, it's better than the cafes we get out of <laughs> in, in university. Well, that's for sure. But uh, well, quite a few. 10,000 or so visitors to feed, I guess. Yeah. Know? Yeah. No, it's nice. It's nice. It's a nice environment. And, and it's, as I said, it's so inspirational from a physics point of view, I think. It's just, just terrific. I think that leads on very well to my next question, which is how do we get people to understand the importance of fundamental and theoretical research, especially in areas which may seem quite abstract at first, such as particle theory or cosmology. And how do we convince that to a non-physicist? Uh, you see, actually, my line on this is always, um, I always ask, the, if somebody starts giving it like, oh, what's the point in, in all, doing all that sort of research or something? I'm like, well, you know, give me a mobile phone. And they're like, what? I say, well, give me a mobile phone and I'll smash it because you obviously don't deserve a mobile phone <laughs> because that mobile phone wouldn't exist if Maxwell way back when hadn't, um, you know, sort of investigated electromagnetism <clears throat> just for the sake of it, just for being interested in trying to understand how the how the forces of nature work. And so I think that's, that's the, you know, to be honest, I think there's two things here. We shouldn't get too hung up on applications of whilst they are obviously important. For me, I think as humans, we just, you know, it's natural to wonder and to question and to try and understand deeper and deeper. And so, you know, that, that, that's what defines us almost as humans that, you know, the desire to ask these sorts of questions and, you know, we've been doing it, you know, for all of history, right? Some people have found answer in religion and that's fine. Others have found it in science and, or, or, or both at the same time. And, and I think it's natural to want to know more and to want to ask deeper and deeper questions. Now I, I give this talk, which, which, um, I think I gave one outside during the last in industrial action about, and I start off with uh, why are you here? And, and it was like, what? And I was like, no, I don't mean why are you here? Why do you even exist? Why does the universe exist? And this is one of the questions I actually sort of investigate in the book. Like, you know, why does the universe exist? I think exist? you threw me into a black hole. Was it you? I yeah. Black hole? I apologize. I've changed my hair since then. Right, right. But you managed to get out, which is uh, yeah, hello, somewhat unexpected. <laughs> so, right, we'll have to investigate that. What happened there? Um, yeah. So anyway, so, so, I mean, it's such a deep question. I don't think anybody, well, if you're not fascinated by, by that question, then there's probably something up here. I think <laughs> that leads quite nicely onto, um, when you threw me into black hole, that was at the South entrance picket line for one of the strikes. Um, yep. so how did you get involved in the UCU and what's, what's going on right now? Cause 
Yeah, so how I got involved, well, okay. So, I mean, I just, a few years ago when the pension thing started kicking off, I heard what they were doing and I was enraged. Um, and that drew me in, it drew a lot of people in. And since then I sort of have got more involved. I'm now the, the rep for physics. Um, in terms of the the industrial action that, that may or may not happen, I mean, we've balloted. Um, in Nottingham, we had the second highest turnout in the country of the larger universities. So it just shows the depth of feeling here. Um, people aren't happy. And <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing is pensions. Um, and I guess, you know, many of you might be wondering, well, why are they, why are pensions again? Why is it, didn't we have that before? And the answer is yes, we did. We did have it before. And, you know, agreements were made and then they were reneged on and changes being made again. It just keeps happening and it's an ongoing process. They keep hitting us with, with more and more cuts to, to, to our pensions. And, you know, it's, it's sort of, for some people, it's going to effectively halve how much they will get in their retirement. And, you know, it, what's, makes you angry about it is that it doesn't need to happen. This was based on a valuation of the scheme that they made in, in March, 2020. And I think we all know what was happening then. COVID was about to kick off and go mm. mad. The markets were maximally uncertain. And so it's a, it's a meaningless valuation, right? And uh, one of the things we're saying is just reevaluate it, just do it again. And so we can actually get a better idea of what the, what the markets are really telling us that it, it, the scheme is gonna do. And, you know, so, so, but the, they're saying no. And it's like, why? And I think it boils down to ideology, really. Um, basically, they don't want the risk associated with a pension. But there was an article in the Financial Times uh, the other day where they were sort of talking about, um, you know, by an economics ex expert who's actually, actually got um, an honorary position here at Nottingham. And he was saying that the level of prudence that they're putting into the scheme is just off the scale. It's basically equivalent. They basically want to essentially imagine a scenario and, and sort of consider a scenario where I think he says a thousand nuclear warheads hit Britain and society falls basically. And to try to insure against that, well, no scheme needs to insure against that. It's meaningless anyway, because if society falls, last worry is what's happening to your pension, right? So, so why are they doing this? But it's not just um, pensions. It's, there's also issues of casualization, um, pay. You know, I, I did a quick quick survey of, of sort of how much lecturer pays have degraded over the years. So 10 years ago, they were a typical lecturer would have been getting um, the equivalent of £6,000 more than they, than they would now. Um, so it's, you know, it's eroded by 15%. And, to just keep, and, and the, off, the new offer is still half the level of inflation. It's just more and more pay cuts and casualization. It's the staff on temporary, so many staff across all the university sectors on temporary contracts, they can't get mortgages because they're on a temporary contract. And there's too many of these temporary contracts being given out. Um, there was a, a really harrowing story, I think, in The Guardian uh, the other day about a, a, somebody who's teaching uh, one of the universities in London, who basically, because of this sort of these insecure contracts that, that they've been given out and they're, they're using to teach with, um, had to live in a tent, you know, for several years whilst lecturing at a university. That's and it's awful. just totally unacceptable state of mm. affairs. Um, and yeah, we just want it. We just want to set it to stop, basically. Uh, so there's so many levels at which, which we're fighting and it's exhausting, quite frankly. How did we end up in this situation where we have these very insecure year-to-year -year contracts in academia? 
it's, it's a very good question. How did we end up like that? Um, I think there's a, I think it's, it, you can't disconnect it with this sort of student fees having been brought in and the changes to the culture of how universities have been run in terms of becoming more like, um, more marketized and thinking more about, not so much about, I mean, my view is if you've got sort of staff who are who are sort of happy and engaged, then that's going to transfer to the students. And the whole thing is just going to be a much more vibrant learning experience for absolutely everybody. Uh, but when you start just thinking about finances and, and finances are important, don't get me wrong. Of course, we have to run the university. Yeah. But when it becomes the be all and end all and, and, and certain priorities are sort of skewed a little in, in some places, then I guess this is what happens because it becomes financially makes more sense for the, for um, it might be cheaper, for example, to have a short-term contract. There's less commitments, there's less overheads, all these things. But at the same time, there's absolutely no doubt that it's going to affect the the standard of the teaching. Oh, come on, this person's in a, you know, sort Living of it's completely insecure. Is, yeah. yeah. So it hurts everybody. And so, uh, yeah. I think the UCU to a lot of undergraduates is this sort of amorphous entity which we don't really have much engagement with or much understanding of. And I think it's the disconnect has continued downwards because I feel like for a lot of us, we show up at university, we have our lectures, we go home, do our coursework, and we get our degree out at the end. I don't think we see too much of actually the inner workings or the understandings of what's going on with the contracts, with the lecturers. So do you think the undergraduates should have more education about this? Do you think it's the responsibility of the undergraduates to educate themselves? Do you think it's something undergraduates can help change? Should Yeah, should we get involved? Yeah. Oh, I'd love you to get involved. Um, I, I mean, I wouldn't say it's their responsibility. I mean, I think, you know, let's be honest, you guys are caught in the middle of all of this. And, it, and my heart, it, it's awful that this has to happen. And, 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 you know, we're sort of fighting for the future of universities here to some extent. What I what I would say is is that it's quite difficult for us to communicate with you. The vice chancellor can send you messages and can send all staff messages, and we can't. We're not allowed to do that, right? It's against the rules. So so our power to communicate with you is much much diminished. And you know this is a great opportunity actually to to reach reach out. Um, one thing I will say is is that please do write to the vice chancellor and put pressure on them. Um, but but yeah, it's it, it's. I don't think it's fair to say to say you know you've got a responsibility to to sort of engage with this. You know you've got enough to contend with, and um, but yeah, if you if, we'd love you to to hear what we've got to, you know we have to say because it is it is it's really tough for everybody. Are lecturers allowed to talk about it in in lectures like a quick five minutes of what's going on or? Okay, are you, are you allowed or what? Technically, I mean, no one's going to know, right? <laughs> so you can do that. Of course, you can. You can explain to students if you're, if you're, you know, going to be going on strike and, and and so on and so forth, or the reasons for it. Yes, you can do that. Um, the 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 problem is trying to sort of reach out and communicate on a, on a larger scale is is not so easy. Uh, there are people that that are you know giving talks to students and stuff like that uh, where possible. Um, but it's tough. It's it's tough getting that, that you know communicating, um, and what you've got to bear in mind as well is is that everything that people do with UCU is all done in their spare time. No one's getting paid to yeah. to sort of to, to. I mean, you don't get paid when you're when you're on strike for a start. Yeah. But never mind that. You know, it's just mm. one thing most people don't realize that you don't, you don't get any salary. Um, and but but also all the stuff that we do for UCU is 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 
it's it's all voluntary and it's, it's a lot of work to run a union of any form isn't it i mean agnes who's, who's the head of our our local branch uh, she's she's in law i mean she's just fantastic and and the amount of work that she puts in and she and she's put it in on behalf not for herself she's put it on behalf of of everybody and one thing that that does come across when you when you're sort of now inside ucu as i am a bit more now is how much people really care about the university I mean, they just want the university to be better and they want it to be a sort of better environment for everybody. Absolutely. And that includes not just staff, but also the students. Everybody, oh, the debate that we all have about, you know, oh, this is, this is, this, we really don't want to hurt the students in this. It's hard. It's, it's so, it's, it's absolutely so difficult to do that. But we just felt like, you know, the, 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 this, we don't even need to go on strike to some extent if, if the university leadership actually just, you know, Maybe, for example, considered a new evaluation. We wouldn't necessarily need to strike over USS. Mm. They could do that. That's in their hands. They can do that. Mm. But they they want to draw it out because they think they can beat the strike. And it's it's a whole ideology ideology mm. thing. And it's it's really quite frustrating. Do you think there's a, a level of censorship when it comes to this? Because when the physics department so when the physics society, FISOC, posted just reposted something on social media saying that there's going on that there's a, there's posters around. Um, these we had someone message us saying, "Can you take this down, please?" Or we, we're not allowed to talk about this. And then we sent a whole statement to the to the SU saying, "We, you know, why why is this, why are we ask why are we asked to do this? We're, we're in support of the department. We're part of the department." Yeah, I'm, I'm aware of that. I know that happened. Um, it's probably not for me to comment on, but I'm sure. more than happy for you to comment on it. <laughs> Um, I would say I think okay. I have to be a little bit careful what I say there but that's right. you can say what you like I mean we support you so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, that's good good to hear I guess our last question for this topic is how much responsibility do APIC do there how much responsibility do academics need to take to ensure the future of higher education well I think they they, they have a lot of responsibility and I think this is this is this is actually where where the debate comes about the impact that you're having on on courses now one has to think about several years in the future in the future of academia here um and i think that's absolutely i mean i'm really worried about the direction that british higher education's going in it's 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 not going in a way which i think is going to enhance our sort of the, you know our degrees and 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 the, and the kind of teaching that's happening here, the type of research. I mean, British universities have been, you know, leading universities in the world, right? You know, for a long time now, for, you know, if you go all the way back to sort of when Oxford and Cambridge were originally founded, for example. So you're nearly talking like best mm. part of a thousand years now. And, you know, great institutions like Nottingham have done great things like, you know, for example, I'm sure you, when you talked to Penny, you would have talked about plenty about MRI and, and the legacy they have <laughs> here, right? So there's some really great things that have happened in British universities. And that's, I think, being put put at risk to some extent. We already have the challenges in terms of Brexit, for example. That's not going to help sort of no. British universities in terms of recruitment, both of students and of staff. And But now you throw all these other negative ingredients into the mix and people look upon Britain and like, oh, you know what, I'll just stay where I am, thanks. And uh, it's, it's, quite, it's quite worrying. So I think we do have responsibility and this is why this, this, this feels like an existential fight now to some extent. If we don't win this one now, then I'd, I don't anticipate there being many futures. I don't think it's going to be like, you know, we've had this sort of series of, of lots of industrial actions. I, don't, I think this is probably going to be 
Hopefully, it'll be the last one. And it's, if we, it's basically win or bust. Well, thank you so much for your insight on this topic. I don't think it's something, as I said before, we as undergraduates get to engage with much. So it's very much appreciated having this frank conversation with you about it. Is there anything else you want to add about UCU just at the end quickly? I just want to really emphasize how how much it is important it is for us to have your support on this. And I think you shouldn't underestimate how torn the staff are that are going out on strike. They really, they really don't want to, and they care so deeply about their students. And really don't underestimate that and look into the reasons why they're doing it. And the fact that they are doing it probably against that backdrop probably demonstrates how serious the problems are, I think. Thank you for that. Thank you for that very much. So just to end the podcast quickly, we've got a few questions from our Instagram followers. Oh God. So, <laughs> so our first question, do you stand by the minus one twelfth proof? Absolutely. Oh, the proof. The proof. <laughs> okay. So that's an interesting, so the result, absolutely, definitely. Uh, the proof. Okay. So, Yes and no. Now, okay, so what do, so yes, because technically every step I make can be mapped by something called analytic continuation, which is um, to a result that's perfectly legit. And that's why I end up with the right answer. However, if taken, if you don't, if you look at the, the, the nature of the proof and maybe you, you take some of those manipulations out of context, then yes, you could technically get any answer you wanted. Um, but I have a little blog post, which is linked to in the video now, uh, where I sort of show how each step can be mapped by analytic continuation to something which is perfectly legit. So therefore it's perfectly legit. So yes and no. We'll link that to the show notes. <laughs> yeah, we'll, link, yeah. We'll, we'll put that in the description so everyone can see. <laughs> and uh, does Kepler mean anything to you at this point? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, <laughs> no, no well, obviously like, he's all right. It is, he's all right. It's just not as good as Newton, to be fair. Like you know, so uh, yeah, I don't mind him. He's okay. I've he's got. No I've got one more for you, which my housemate asked me to ask you as you were leaving. Which would you rather? Liverpool never won anything again, or <laughs> string theory was fundamentally disproved. Oh my oh, god! I've been string theory in a half. That's quick. On. Yeah, no, no. Okay, I thought you, I thought you were taking a good like five minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I love. It. I, I am a big fan of string theory, and and and, and you know, but come on, <laughs> the Reds. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today and coming on. It's really appreciated. Thank you, Charlotte and Subin as well, thank and you. thank you also very much for listening. And we'll catch you next time on the next episode of the Fistop Podcast. Bye. Thank you all. Bye, Thanks, guys. Bye. This is a lot of fun. <laughs>